Good evening. Good to be here with you tonight and uh, be able to celebrate this day again with you. And uh, I just want to thank you for uh, being the church that you are. I was thinking uh, just the times that I've been able to share uh, with uh, some of you and uh, over the years. And one of the highlights uh, that I think about, uh, even for our church, uh, for our young people and others that have gotten involved with the help uh, missions trip and uh, such a blessing uh, to be able to be a part of that and uh, for your church here that has a heart uh, to reach out and help uh, other churches and not just help other churches but get other churches involved as well and I know our young people and, and other folks from our church that have been a part of that ministry have been so blessed by that we go to help uh, another church, uh, and we often cut times come back being more helped and blessed uh, than I think that maybe we could be ever towards them. It's just amazing how God works those things, but I'm so thankful for a church that has God's vision to do that uh, and to uh, have us be a part of things like that. I'm so thankful for conferences and times of learning and uh, things like youth conference that we've been able to take our teens to, and we need that, but I also think we need things like the help trip and uh, it, it, uh, it does something in us to serve together and I'm so thankful for your church and the part that you guys do uh, um, put forward in that for us to be a part of that so appreciative of that to be able to do ministry in that way if you take your bibles we're going to go to the book of chronicles again second chronicles chapter 13 we're just a few uh, chapters removed from where we were this morning and the king that we're talking about tonight is a uh, grandson, great-grandson of Solomon and of the line of David. And uh, 2 Chronicles 13 is where we find this story of King Abijah, the king of Judah. And it's a, uh, a younger generation, if you will, from King Solomon, and they have uh, battles that they must fight and battles that they are being faced with. And we see a king here who takes a bold stand for the truth of the Word of God and is willing to risk it all, is willing to put it all on the line in order that the truth of God's Word may be heard in Israel. And we'll see here in this passage that there were great stakes that they faced in taking that chance of declaring God's Word. It says in chapter 13 of Second Chronicles, it says, Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah. And he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. And Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemarium, which is in Mount Ephraim, and he said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel to David forever? even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam the son of Nabat, the servant of Solomon the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam the son of Solomon. 
and when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. And now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude, and there be with you golden calves which Jeroboam made you for gods. Have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of the other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods? But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, the Levites, wait upon their business. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also they set they in order upon the pure table, and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof, to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain, and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O Israel, O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord. And the priests sounded with the trumpets. And the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter, so there fell down slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. And thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and took the cities from him, Bethel with the towns thereof, and Jeshanah with the towns thereof, and Ephraim with the towns thereof. Neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah waxed mightily. I've entitled the message here tonight, Parley Hill. Parley Hill is a place where you speak to the opposition, parlaying, in this case, the truth of God to a people who rebelled against God, and where a bold stance was taken in odds that were greatly disfavorable and, uh, and against them to proclaim to God's people the word of God that they had departed from. And I hope that tonight we will have a sense of urgency that God has placed upon us as his people, as his church, as Bible Baptist Church, that the truth of God needs to be sounded out. The truth of the gospel, the gospel truth needs to be given out. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we come to your word here tonight, I thank you for its power. God, how it cuts to our heart and soul. It shows us the heart of the matter, the matters of our heart. And God, it causes us to understand all the confusion in our life, is all clearly laid out, and we are given purpose, Lord, as we align our lives with the truth of your word. And God, we know that you have not given us your word to contain it within ourselves and only for us. 
God, you give us your word in order that it may be in us, but also that it may go through us and out to others. God, I pray you'd help us to be a people that are quick to speak the truth of God in instances of opposition. Lord, I pray you'd strengthen us in this work by your spirit here tonight. Help me, God, to speak the things that you'd have me to say from your word here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have heard the story of Napoleon in his conquest in 1803. That as he was strategizing and planning the battle with his generals there, he pointed to a map that was laid out before them. And he pointed to China and he said, There lies a sleeping giant. Let him sleep. For when he rises, he will shake the world. I have no doubt today that the devil and his tactics and his schemes and walking about seeking whom he may devour, I have no doubt that he would look at the church of our Lord Jesus Christ and he would point to it and say, let it sleep. For when it wakes, it will shake the world. The devil knows that he cannot do anything against the church, that Jesus has said of his church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The devil does not so much need to destroy the church as he just needs to keep it silent. That he just needs it to be censored. That it just needs it to do its own thing and not get involved in the conflict that we have here on earth. And that the battle that we are faced with for truth is a battle for God. It's God's battle and he's commissioned his church to be that place that sounds out the word of God. Here in this passage... This story takes place after the life of Solomon. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, comes into power. And when that instance happens, Israel is divided. It becomes a divided nation. And Rehoboam, he takes the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and he uh, takes the kingdom there in Jerusalem. And he is of the Davidic line, the royal line of David. And the other half uh, half of Israel splits uh, amongst the ten tribes of Israel. And Jeroboam takes those and they dwell and make their own rebellious kingdom in the north. And so that the, the land of Israel has become divided. And so these two divided nations come to a uh, civil war that takes place here on Mount Zemarium. And Abijah stands up and he parlays with the opposition. He gives to them the truth and of the promises of God's word with them. And he does so at great cost, at great risk. The risk here is complete and utter defeat. It's complete defeat. If, if, if God doesn't show up in these circumstances, they are going to be utterly crushed and ruined. Their army will be flattened by the mighty forces of Israel that coming from the north, and they will easily sweep into the lower kingdom of Judah and overrun it and take it for themselves. And in that moment, his circumstances don't matter to him so much as his reliance upon God, and that no matter what happens, we are going to speak the truth and let God decide what will become of it. Getting on the hill to proclaim the truth of God's word was more important to Judah and his men, his 400,000 men, than what became of their lives afterward. They committed all of that to God. What was important to them was for them to fulfill God's commission on their lives of speaking the truth to these rebellious tribes of Israel. And I 
and perhaps our understanding of what it is to parlay truth would be of the hill that we have here in Canada of Parliament Hill, of where parties of opposition come together and they, uh, they parlay with one another. They, they give uh, their opinions and viewpoints on how to solve the issues that are in our land. And I believe there's a, there's a segment of our, our culture here in North America that we desire open uh, discussion for there to be a, an opportunity to parlay with one another. But as we know here in Canada, in North America, that there is always a bias before, behind everything that happens, everything that is said, and, and everything is tainted. And, and so there's this desire to be able to get away from uh, the, these big forces in our land, a big social media uh, like Facebook and, and YouTube. And so there are things that come about like parlor a new social media app that you can go on to and parlay is their emphasis to parlay with the world, uh, to, to get a, a parlor account and parlay with the world your viewpoints so that we can get together and discuss and, and try to improve our world. And there's an aspect of that that's good. We know that in the multitude of counselors uh, that there's wisdom in that, there's safety in that. But we also understand that by bringing in more bad ideas and mixing it in the pot, that somehow something good does not come out of that. You can't put more bad in in order to find something that is good. There has to be something in our land, something amongst us that is a pillar of truth. Something amongst us and as us as Canadians that is a ground for us to stand on a basis for us to find and know the truth and proclaim truth. And that pillar and that ground of truth that God has placed here in Canada is to be the church. It is to be the house of God that is the pillar and the ground of truth that we are able to get an understanding of our lives and what truth is and how we can find solutions to the problems that we have in our country and in our nation. And it's of greater value to God's people. It ought to be greater importance for us to fulfill that mission that God has placed on us as a church to proclaim truth rather than to be concerned about what may happen to us. To be less concerned about the circumstances and more concerned about fulfilling God's commission on our lives to give out truth. I believe that every church, every individual church, has hills of opposition where they must decide if they will parlay truth. That there are defining moments in the life of a church of whether they will speak the truth or if they will remain silent. And there's great risk because if you get up and you proclaim truth, there could be grave consequences. It's consequences that we know of churches like, say, in China that are losing their freedom, that their churches uh, are being closed down. There are hills of parlay in your life, perhaps in your workplace, that people are talking about things that are not right according to the Word of God, and it's a hill of opposition in your workplace, perhaps, and if you speak up and parlay truth, there could be great risk to that. You could lose your job if you stand up for the truth of the Word of God. There's great risk to parlaying truth, the truth of God's Word. 
But what's so important about our lives as Christians in Christ is not about what happens to us, but rather that we fulfill the commission that God has given to us in our life. And if you're going to decide to, uh, to get up on those hills of opposition and parlay truth, God has an opportunity to be glorified. Because those are opportunities that only God can change in those instances. We can't change those instances in our life. And so I want to give to you tonight three aspects of the hills of parlay that are presented to us in life some characteristics about that. I want you to notice firstly, number one, that the hill, that hill is an, a, a hill of an open opposition. Then in verse, uh, in chapter 12, verse number 15, the latter part of that, it says, and there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. Again, Rehoboam is the father of Abijah, and in his reign, there was continual war between him and Jeroboam. There was continual war between uh, the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. There was continual opposition and war that took place. So that when Abijah, the son of Rehoboam, came into power, he was in the middle of that war as well. He continued in that war. It says in the latter part of verse number 2, chapter 13 now, it says that and there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. This was something that he grew up in, and it's something that he continued in as the next king of Israel. This war, this battle of those who were standing for the truth of God's word and striving to live for him, and these ten tribes that had left the truth of God's word and began living uh, for, their, for their own selves and serving their own gods. In the land of Israel, there was great upheaval. There was personal hurt between the life of Jeroboam and those Davidic kings. You see, it all started when Solomon began to depart from God's truth and gave way to false gods that his wives brought in to the land of Israel. And God told Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, he was going to divide his kingdom and he was going to give it to his servant, Jeroboam. And so Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam fled into Egypt and remained there until Solomon died. And when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam came to power, and he made some foolish decisions that caused Jeroboam to come back to Israel and take ten tribes, the northern tribes of Israel, and to begin their own kingdom. And in order for Jeroboam to keep the hearts of the people dedicated and committed to him, he went and created idols two gold calves that he placed there on the high hills of Israel so that the people could go and worship these gods. And he said, these are the gods that have delivered you out of Egypt. These are the gods that have delivered you from bondage. They are your gods. They are who you will serve. And the people no longer had a reason to go to Jerusalem and worship God. There was a great departure from truth. Why? Because they departed from God from God's truth. And any time that a people depart from the truth of the word of God, it becomes very easy to rationalize just about anything. And things that are evil become good, and things that are good become evil because we've departed from the truth of God's word. And so here there's a nation that is in civil war, a a nation of big political upheaval of kings battling kings within their own country, of people coming against people, uh, of their own countrymen, their own brothers and sisters, and killing one another, uh, of great cultural overturn, of no longer having a habit of glorifying God and serving Him, but of seeking after these dumb idols 
that supposedly brought them out of the land of bondage? How could they believe such a thing? It's easy to believe absurd things when we depart from the truth of God's word. And so we see in verse number three that Abijah sets the battle in array against Israel. And Jeroboam with, with Israel comes and he sets the battle in array as well. They line up their troops for battle. And it was Abijah's 400,000 men on the top of Mount Zemarium with Jeroboam's 800,000 men there ready for battle. For every soldier that Abijah had, they would have to kill two of Jeroboam's men to advance in battle. And mark it down that if you will stand on the truth of the word of God, it will be twice as hard to speak the truth of God. That there's always more opposition against God and his word than there are those who are going forward with the word of God. It's an open opposition, an open opposition that was against God's truth. I want you to know, secondly, that it was a hill of an obstinate occupation. It was an obstinate occupation both for those who came from Israel to fight against Judah. They were intending to go in and take the land. They weren't going to budge or move. But it was also, and I want to focus on this aspect, that it was an obstinate occupation of Abijah and his 400,000 from Judah. That as they stood on that hill, they had no intention of going anywhere, of surrendering the truth of God to these rebels there in their land. It says in verse number four that Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemarium, which was in the mountain range of Ephraim. The land of Israel is filled with hills and mountains. You go to the land of Israel and everywhere you go, you see cities on, a, on a hilltops, villages and towns. And when you read through the Bible, a lot of great things and a lot of stories take place on tops of a mountain. The word mountain or mount or hill is named more than 600 times in our Bible. There are a lot of things that happen on top of the hilltops there in Israel. And it was on top of a mountain, what we know to be as the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus gave this truth of the Beatitudes, attitudes that we as believers ought to have, that blessed are they that are persecuted. Those who stand up for the truth of the Word of God and you're persecuted for that, that's a cause of rejoicing in our lives. That's a cause to be joyful over in our lives as Christians. And he said that ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The church is something that cannot be hid here in Canada. It's not something that can be hid amongst the people of Canada. It's something that must be visible and seen in the light of the gospel going forth from it. And so King Abijah, he gets up on the hill and he preaches this sermon to them. He preaches this truth of God and his word to them. He says in verse number five, Ought ye not to know? Israel, these are things that you ought to know, but I'm going to tell them to you anyway. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel, to David forever, even to him and to his sons by covenant of salt? A covenant of salt, speaking of a perpetual or a everlasting covenant or promise, that it was to be of the line of David and his blood, that there were to be sons that would rule over Israel. And he said, Jeroboam is not a king of Israel. He's not of the promise of the covenant of God for Israel but yet he has a great multitude of people following him. He has a great uh, uh, rebellious following that is with him. And he says, you ought to know that the only king that ought to rule in Israel is a son of David. 
And yet, much of Israel had believed in the words of Jeroboam that these gods, these cattle, these cows, these golden calves, these are our gods now. They are who we are served. And they, they cast out all of the Levitical priesthood out of their land. And they sent them all back to Judah because they said, these are our gods. It's said that in, in Hitler's propaganda, in his effort to uh, destroy the Jews and for them to be seen as a menace in society and to eradicate them from their lands, that in his propaganda, he, uh, he built it on this principle that if you tell a lie loud enough, and a lie long enough, people will believe it. And it's disturbing to know that even some of our own politicians on Parliament Hill have made such statements. That it's not so much about what is true, but what you want, if you will simply say it loud enough and long enough, people will believe it. This idea that we don't need to seek after what is true, we need to seek after our opinion and what seems right for us. And that is what needs to be brought forth for people to hear. And it's nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years. That's why when Paul wrote to a man named Titus that he had left on Crete, he told Titus, I've left you there to ordain elders in every church. Crete was a little island in, in the Mediterranean Sea off of the shoreline of Greece and modern-day Turkey. And he left Titus there in that island to ordain pastors in every church. Why? Well, because churches need pastors, but he also highlights this truth in verse number 9 that those that he would appoint there, that they would be people who had faithfully received the truth of God's word, uh, that they would be holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, so that by sound doctrine he might be able to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Because the Cretans said of, them own, of their own selves, the Cretans are always liars. They're always deceiving. And the apostle Paul said there needs to be churches on the island of Crete that will get up and proclaim what is true that will be a gospel light of how lives can get, uh, can get help, can get uh, the confusion uh, removed from their lives. Churches that will show forth the light of the gospel so that lives can know what is true. There needs to be pastors on the island of Crete that will, he says, stop their mouths, stop the lies. There needs to be truth that is being proclaimed. And so King Abijah does just this. He tells them what they ought to know. And in verse 8 he says, And now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord. He tells them straight to their face, You're opposing God himself. He says in verse number 10, But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. He says there in the verses following that, Behold, God himself is with us for our captain. He says, Israel, if you fight against us, as men of Judah from Jerusalem, if you fight against us, you're not just fighting against the people who are trying to follow after God and worship him in the temple, his prayer house. You're fighting not just after men. You're fighting against God. He is our captain. We have not forsaken his truth. And so he pleads with them in the latter part of verse number 12, O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord. The God of your fathers. Why? You won't prosper. You won't prevail. 
What a bold statement for Abijah to make as he stands on the hill and he looks out over this vast army of Israel and he tells them, don't you dare come against us. Though you outnumber us two to one, don't you dare come after us because you will not prosper, Jeroboam. He declares to him this confidence based on the truth of God's word because I believe that King Abijah understood as we see that he relies upon the Lord that what is at stake here is not a battle, a civil war taking place amongst God's people. It's a battle that is God's battle. It's a battle for God's truth that we're fighting for here. But what does Jeroboam do? Verse 13, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them so that they were before Judah and the ambushment came from behind them. So that when King Abijah finished giving his truth of God, he looked before him and he saw the men of Israel there. There are 800,000, but oh, there were some missing because they had sent an ambushment to come behind the hill so that when they looked behind, they were completely surrounded on that hilltop by these valiant men of Israel that had come to take their lives, to come and take their country, to come and take their wives and their children. The enemy never plays fair, but Abijah didn't come to play fair either. He just came to give the truth of the word of God. And whatever happens to us, let it be to God. And that is exactly what God has left us here to do. The Bible talks about when Jesus went into a man's house named Zacchaeus, and salvation came to that household. It says this verse in Luke that we often know so well, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And it says, as the people heard Jesus speak those words, he began to speak a parable to them about a nobleman who went into a far country so that he could receive a kingdom unto himself. And so he brought together his ten servants, and he delivered unto them ten talents, and he told them, occupy till I come. Now, occupy is not just sitting around waiting for their master to come. The word occupy there means to busy oneself to be busy about something in your life. And the busyness that they were to be busy about was the business of their master. And what God has left you and me here on earth to do and what he has left Bible Baptist Church here on earth as long as he gives you breath and as long as he tarries his coming, the purpose that he has left here, you here for is to occupy till he comes, to be about your great commission of getting the gospel out to every creature, to proclaim the gospel truth to every land, to every person, everywhere. The church cannot remain silent in the midst of a global pandemic. The church cannot remain silent when there are lies and deceit being spread around throughout our lands. The church has to give answers for the confusion and let people know that there's confusion in our world because of sin. And the one who can cure sin is Jesus. That there are catastrophes that happen here in our world, and the reason that catastrophes happen is because of our earth being sin-cursed. And the one who can deal with sin and cure sin in our lives is Jesus. And it's the truth, it is the church that is to be the pillar and the ground of truth that declares these answers to mankind. I'm so thankful for governments. I'm so thankful for education, for these things that God has instituted. But I declare unto you, it is the church house that is to be declaring truth in our land. It is the church house that is a pillar and the ground of truth. Are we evangelizing? Are we declaring the truth? Are we willing to put ourselves in some risky situations where the risk is complete defeat? 
But what matters more to us is not how we live our lives or that we have everything that we desire in life. It's that the truth of God goes out from my lips, from my mouth. Adrian Rogers said that the church that does not evangelize will soon fossilize. That a church that's not busy about its master's business will soon be a church that fossilizes. If I could preach to you for just a minute the gospel of Jesus Christ, that 2,000 years ago there was a man who was the Christ who lived truly on this earth. And the Bible says that he set his face toward a hill in his day, a hill called Mount Calvary, a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And the Bible says he set his face there as a flint, as a stone. As, a, as he fa- faced that hill, he placed himself to go boldly all the way for you and for me. He climbed that mountain. He climbed to the top of that mountain. He died there for you and for me. And there was nothing that could turn him from it. The Bible says as he placed his face as a flint, as a stone towards that place in order that he may proclaim truth and the salvation of those who are lost in their sins, that there can be forgiveness, that there can be truth in this world. He got on a, on a mountaintop so that we could know what the forgiveness of sins is by being purchased and bought by the precious blood of the Lamb and rising from the grave to give us everlasting life. He did that for you. He died for you. He gave his circumstances to God and he said, God, not my will be done, but God, let your will be done in this. If God, if there's another way, let me do it. But God, if you have me go to the cross, I'll go all the way that your truth may be proclaimed. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Do you believe that today? Because if you do, then when those hills of opposition come, you have a choice to make. Will you parlay truth? Will you take the risk that your circumstances could turn very unfavorably for you? That you could face some complete defeat in your life? Would you do that for the one who climbed his hill in his lifetime for you? Would you climb your hill for him? That, his, that that glory might go to Jesus Christ who died on a hill for you in Calvary. I believe that you have a pastor that's willing to climb some hills that our churches face today. But in the same way that King Abijah did not climb the hill alone, no, he had 400,000 men that went into battle with him. And they went to the top of that battle to proclaim truth as their king proclaimed it there with them. And they were ready to die on that mountain there with him. King Abijah didn't send the 400,000 men on their own to proclaim truth. He went with them in the battle and he fought alongside with them. And he was there to proclaim the truth of the word of God. We, we are quick to cheer on a preacher sometimes. And we're quick to cheer on uh, the pastor to proclaim truth and, and to tell our city about the gospel. But would you climb that hill with him? Would you get involved in that? I'm so thankful for technology that we have and to be able to uh, watch some things from online. But we, we live in a society and a culture that loves to watch we love to see what's happening. We love to, to see those videos that go viral. And it's easy to just be a spectator rather than getting involved because getting involved has great risk. 
Getting involved means your life, your circumstances could be affected, not just your pastor. Would you get involved in the fight of truth? I want you to notice thirdly here tonight that this hill was also a hill of an overturned ostentation. All of us hate ostentation. All of us hate a showy, pretentious, fake show of oneself. Something that is disingenuine, not real. And King Jeroboam had a lot of men to flaunt around. An army that outnumbered those who opposed him. Had the manpower to maneuver an ambush to come behind them and surround the, the men of Judah. He had a whole lot to flaunt. But we see here in this passage that as Judah looked back, and behold, he saw them before them and behind them. It says in verse number 15, in the latter part of the verse there, that it came to pass. Here's the circumstances that were committed to God. And in this instance, it says that it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel. It doesn't tell us how he smote them. The word smote there is the same kind of smote that the book of Exodus says that God smote Egypt with frogs. The same kind of smote that it talks about God smiting the firstborn of Egypt. So we don't know exactly how God got involved in these circumstances. But he smote the men of Israel that had rebelled against him and against their king of Judah in a way that when Judah went to fight against them, that day there fell half a million people in battle. Half a million Israelites that had rebelled against their God died that day because they chose to worship something as absurd as some dumb idols made out of gold that supposedly brought them out of the land of Egypt because they rebelled in their hearts. When God got involved, there were severe consequences And God could get involved and he could overturn the pride and he could exalt the humility of Abijah and his men to rely upon him because they truly were relying upon him. It says in verse 18 there, the latter part, that the children of Judah prevailed because they had more men? No. Because they had a better battle strategy? No. They simply prevailed because God smote Because God got in their circumstances. He simply took ordinary soldiers, an ordinary king, people who were strategizing just the same as their enemies, who could not do anything more than what their enemies were doing. But because God got involved, because they were relying upon God, great things happened. The word lean there is the same word that's found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where the word of God tells us to not... Uh, to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and to not lean unto, unto thine own understanding. To commit your way, commit your circumstances, your life to God. You be concerned about proclaiming his truth. He will look after your circumstances. And the pastor says, says that at that time, that the, king, that, that the king Jeroboam and his men from Israel that they were brought under. They were humiliated. Their pride was turned to humiliation at that time. Because not every time does God choose to intervene in miraculous ways. But every time that God's people decide, I'm going to proclaim truth rather than being concerned about my circumstances, every time that happens, God gets all the glory. God is magnified. Jesus is high and lifted up in our lives, when we're willing to make that kind of reliance upon the Lord. And so it says in verse number 19 that Abijah and his men of Judah, that they took the cities of Bethel, 
of Jeshana, of Ephraim. High places that were places of false worship became places of God-fearing worship because of people who were willing to rely their lives upon the Lord and trust in His ways. And one of the stirring things about this passage is that there's a parallel passage in the book of Kings, 1 Kings 15. And you know what it says of King Abijah? It says that King Abijah, he may have had the royal blood of David running through his veins, but it says that King Abijah, his heart was not perfect before the Lord like that of King David. Say, why would God use someone whose heart was not perfect and right before the Lord? You see, the same God that King David served was the same God that King Abijah was trusting in. And though his heart was not perfect like that of his uh, great-grandfather, King David, because he was relying on the Lord, though he was imperfect, God was the same. God doesn't change. He's the same in one generation to the next. And all he's looking for are some circumstances where people will give up their circumstances, where they would give up their life and be willing to say that no matter what happens, I'm just going to rely upon the Lord and I'm going to speak his truth. I'm going to let it be known what the truth of the word of God is. And our God is the same. The same God that gets in those kinds of circumstances of what people who will rely and trust in God. We serve an awesome Awesome God. Are we willing to commit the hills that we faced in life, the hills of opposition and parlay truth? There are great, great risks to be taken. Risk can be oftentimes complete defeat. But if we're willing to proclaim the truth, no matter the outcome, no matter the circumstances, no matter what does happen to us, God is always glorified. Jesus Christ is lifted up. He gets the glory that he is worthy of from our lives. And he just might, according to his will, show up and do something miraculous. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, for your word and for the challenge that we see here in the life of King Abijah and the men of Judah, how they relied heavily upon you and did not care for what happened in their lives, did not care for the outcome No doubt there were times of doubt, times of fear perhaps. But the outcome that we read of is of a people that were willing to proclaim your truth and commit the circumstances to you. If we lose our lives, then it is gain for we will be with God. If we live, Christ will be magnified. Either way, God gets the glory. And help us, God, to be a a people. Help, Help Bible Baptist Church to be a place that proclaims and lifts up the truth of God's word. Everyone involved, everyone evangelizing, everyone speaking truth when they face hills of opposition in their life. Pray, God, you'd help us in this in Jesus' name.